Sidewalk Audio presents Shadow Magic, a podcast novel by John Lenahan, read by the author. Chapter 29, A Time to Bend. Araf didn't know what was going on. He instinctively went for one of the armed guards first, not my uncle. Kielty had time to press the button, and he did. The entire chamber lurched to the sound of a huge explosion. Burning candles toppled all over the place, and everyone lost their footing. It worked. Not from Kielty's point of view, but from ours. The explosion meant that the leprechaun goldsmiths had done their job. Mom had explained to me that if the golden circle went off the way Kielty wanted it to, we wouldn't hear anything in the castle. But if the leprechaun goldsmiths succeeded in crafting spikes in a section of the gold circle, the explosion would blow out the whole east wall of the castle. It did, and that's what Lorcan's army was waiting for. All of the guards in the chamber let loose their crossbow bolts. Two of them were way off the mark. One from the soldier that fell down from the explosion, the other from the guy that a raff had just clocked with his banta stick. Two bolts, unfortunately, were right on the mark. One came directly at S's chest. With the skill that must have made Araf and Dahi proud, she actually deflected the bolt with her banta stick. Then she performed one of her head-over-heel maneuvers. That was the last thing her attacker saw. The other bolt flew straight at my chin. I think the land has given me two special gifts. One is dreams, and the other is the way time seems to slow down in a crisis. I actually saw the bolt spring off the bowstring. I had time to remember what Mother Oak had said to me. You are hazel and oak. You will know when to bend and when to be strong. It was time to bend. With the flexibility that a Russian gymnast couldn't duplicate, I arched my back and watched the bolt sail past my face. Neve wasn't so lucky. It got her in the shoulder, but not before she could flick my knife at the archer. Her throw was wide off the mark, but due to the extraordinary properties of Dahi's golden tip, it honed back on his target like a guided missile. The heartbeat it took for all of this to happen was the guard's last. I didn't stop bending. I went right over like an upside-down U. How I stayed on my feet, I will never know. I kept going until I planted my hand on the stone-top table, right next to the sword of door. In that upside-down world, I grabbed the lawnmower and reversed the process. When I straightened up, I saw a scene that has haunted my thoughts ever since. Fergal was on his feet. His face was contorted with rage, and he was charging at Kielty. As he stepped forward, he cocked his wrist with a gesture that I recognized as the sequence that released his banshee blade. But the sword wasn't in his sleeve. It was on his belt. He never did get to replace the gold wire. Kielty recognized that gesture, too, because he had a banshee blade of his own. He mirrored Fergal's wrist movements, with the difference that, when he did it, a shiny silver sword appeared in his hand. 
I screamed, No! and flew at the sword with hopes of deflecting it. I was too late. My slow-motion gift became a curse. I saw the tip of the blade touch Fergal's chest. I saw the threads on the fabric of his shirt part and break. I saw every single millimeter of that cursed weapon enter my cousin's chest and not stop until it reached his heart. My swing was late. Kilty was too fast. My blade came down a foot behind where it needed to be. I sliced into Kilty's right wrist and took his hand clean off. He screamed in pain as blood shot around the room. Fergal looked down in shock. What he saw was Kilty's sword sticking out of his chest with his father's hand still wrapped around the pummel. Then he did that most Fergalish thing. He laughed. He pointed to the handle of the sword and said, Well, you look at that. He wore a typical Fergal ear-to-ear grin on his face as he fell over backwards. Just then, Dad burst through the first Marbrocked. With a force that was unprecedented, Dad had pushed back through the three barriers in record time. He came out roaring, and as if he never missed it, he drew his sword with his right hand and flew at his brother. Dad didn't even see what happened next, but I did. Kilty saw him coming. With his remaining hand, he quickly reached to his neck, grabbed an amulet, and shouted, Rothlu! Dad connected with nothing but air. He would have smashed into the far wall if Araf hadn't caught him. Fergal was still conscious. I dropped down next to him just as Mom popped through the Marbrocked. She quickly joined me. I pried Kilty's hand off the pummel and threw it across the room. When I started to remove the sword, Mom stopped me. She placed her hands on both sides of Fergal's head and closed her eyes. When she opened them, they were filled with tears. She shook her head. No. It felt like it was my heart was the one that had the sword in it. Hey, cousin, Fergal said. Why the long face? We've laughed through worse times than this. The tears came so hard I had to squeeze my eyelids to clear my vision. When I opened them, he was gone. He still had a little smile in the corner of his mouth. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. It was Fergal. Fergal was the one. He was the son of the one-handed prince. Fergal was the one who had to be sacrificed in order to save the land. Ah, oh, Fergal. 
At that moment, I couldn't imagine anything that was worth that price. You have been listening to Shadow Magic, a podcast novel by John Lenahan. Music gratefully provided by Lunasa. To hear more of their fabulous music, please visit their website, www.lunasa.ie. That's www.lunasa.ie. For more information about Shadow Magic or its author, please visit www.shadowmagic.co.uk. Thank you very much for listening.